This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 320, Leader Games Project Update. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. Oh my god, there's this really terrible show on Disney called Sophia the First. And it's really, it's like really bad late aughts CGI animation, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, Like Jimmy Neutron? Which, uh, yeah, like it looks kind of like a Jimmy Neutron-y sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, everybody maybe. looks like yeah. noodly. Right. Yeah. And uh, Tim Gunn is in it. Yeah, as a voice actor, and you know, Tim Gunn's a cool, uh, an interesting fella, but a voice actor is not really what i would give in his skill set is it in his skill set you know (laughs) i don't think so yeah i don't think i don't think it's in his uh skill set either i think it's cool they asked him to do it though Uh i mean and i'm sure he made it work yeah but we need a fancy gentleman i've got just the guy right right yeah the problem with casting somebody like tim gunn to play a cartoon character is that he's just a real life cartoon character (laughs) exactly so you can't really like, I don't know. There's not a lot of maneuverability right. there. Like he is just Tim. Gun- you should just have yeah. him be Tim Gunn. Right. The in character. Your show. The character in the show might as well be named Tim Gunn. That's and that's the only way it's gonna work. Right. And you just have him do the stuff that that he does so well. Um, funny that we're opening this reference. I guess is Project Runway back? Actually, I think it is. I no Didn't idea. they like bring that show back? I, don't I know. I don't. I don't keep track of it. They're bringing because of the strike. They're bringing back a lot of uh, a lot of that stuff. Yeah, a lot of reality. Yeah, like Kitchen Nightmares is back. Uh-huh. Um, there's gonna be. Yeah, I'm sure there's other stuff in the works that, that we're just suddenly gonna see. Because uh-huh. like, yeah, they shot this during the strike. Because right. you know, you know, you don't what write you for it. Do? What else you gonna yeah. do? Uh, hey, Hunter, I've got some tournament updates for you. I've got a. Um, let me tell you, I got a huge list of names. Uh, the the tournament is now finally in what I would call full swing. After our first yeah. half weekend, we've now had a full, like, really over a week's worth of games. First, oh yeah. First, I have an errata because uh, some people filled out the sheet wrong. Uh, specifically, <laughs> I don't know who filled this sheet out wrong. I don't know if it was MJ Ultra or Goondock, but we said Goondock won no, a game last week. No, it's MJ Ultra. Don't, don't blame you, Goondock. I don't We've know. already messed up. Well, you, I do know. How do you, do you just not pay attention? You just can't be bothered to read anything? You just can't be bothered to do your job. It was MJ Ultra is the naughty boy who uh-huh. messed up. Well, MJ okay? Ultra did in do fact not... proceed to the prelims despite their desire to uh, go under the radar. Proceed with shame. Yeah. <laughs> proceed with asterisks, MJ Ultra. Uh, the rest of these that I'll read out today, though, I have fixed. So I don't remember who all did a, who all did a bad job this week. But here's here's our winners from the previous week of tournament games. Uh, Jazz Hands won as the Council Calera's in 101 Dalbuthas. Should I list just everything, or should I list just the names? Hmm, let's see how much I think you should just do I, the names. Yeah. There's, like, a lot of There's a lot. Names. It would be a lot to say. Uh, you can go look at stats sheets on the Tournament Spoilers channel to see, like, how things are sussing out. I will say the story of this week is, uh, Tharma and 
Bragg finally got wins, and now it's completely fine. Everyone was freaking out about the stats for absolutely no reason. Uh, Thurman and Bragg is not even the least winning uh, slice anymore. So, yeah, everything's fine. Things uh, are starting to even out uh, yeah. as far as Will's lead, too. Things are catching <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah. It's starting to feel like like all maybe all the slices might be decently viable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so our other winners are Cerberus version 6.66, Bananual, N. Curry, Sunshine Punch, War Suns in My Eyes, Karun Sun, The Clothes Line, Space Hokey, And Cat, Denis, Wadi Bluestone, Jidakuda, Krobs, Johnny Tang, also known as just Tang, uh, Jadim Jedi, Benedict, Random8127, Bob C222, Blackfire, Banner Spear, Bam Bam 9229. The numbers are always so funny to me. Um, anyways, <laughs> El Blasto, uh, my favorite win of the week, which is fellow Winu William Willard, one in Will. Uh, so good job yes. to Will. A uh, first pick Will, too. The theory has been Will wins because first pick faction ends up in Will, but Will sure. memed and picked Will and one in Will. So good job, Will. Uh, also, our last three wins were Brassbird, Green Flame, and Emil. Congratulations to everyone. Uh, and that that brings us to 40 total wins. 40 prelims players Beautiful. have been decided. Uh, around 180 remain. Yeah. Um, don't wait. Don't Get wait. in there. <laughs> I don't know. We have no idea what the rhythm of this is uh, going to be. We've talked a yeah. little bit about how it might go down. It might slow down a little bit in November and then right. ramp back up in December. Um, but to be honest, I am surprised at the rate we're already at. Yeah. So I would say if you're like, I want to get into the prelims, you should just start working on that, <laughs> yeah. I would say. Yeah. And also, it might take a lot of losses for you right. to get in there. So you <laughs> might need a little, you might need some distance. I mean, like, you only get one a week. Yep. And so you've lost two, technically three, although some, some people did a little bit of number fraud and, sure. and, and were like, three, there's three. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. That, that's just, yeah, that's your reward for being hot on the trigger. Um, But... That you're already like three opportunities down, basically, yeah. right? Right. Um, speaking of opportunities, yeah. Uh, I myself, Hunter Donaldson, am a proud member of the Galactic Council. I give five dollars a month to this project uh -huh. um, because I like it. Uh -huh. Dang it! Um, and because I want just a Patreon to get a little more cut sure, of my yeah. life. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's, I wanna that's give, what I want. I want to give Patreon two dollars and fifty cents. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> See, and that's what I'm doing. And I am doing that, by the way. You can look it up. Look yeah. me up on Discord. I am a Galactic Counselor. Yeah. I'm not cheating here. Uh -huh. um, my first qualifier game, my first attempt at making it to the prelims is this Saturday, October 14th at 11 a.m. Eastern nice. uh, United States time. Yeah. Um, and you should come watch. Come We're going to be streaming it live on twitch.tv slash SpaceCatsPeaceTurtles. Don't miss it because uh, this is going to be streamed by an all-star cast of streamers. We have a whole... This might be the highest produced like highest production quality video we've ever done <laughs> for some oh, reason uh we're going all out uh it's me it's elspeth it's carnal and it's jadeem jedi uh don't worry it won't wow. be four commentators all talking at once that's not how it's going to work but the four of us are all going to have a hand on the ball of presenting you hunter's first tournament game i hope we can do it for every single one of hunter's tournament games it's just like yeah, every time the i band play tone comes out and <laughs> it'll just be the biggest deal in the world um which is great no pressure yeah exactly. no pressure right. i can handle it um i'm gonna be uh also the 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 people i've recruited for my first qualifier game my opponents will of course be squeamish emu kaluan frank g goondock 
and Weaver. What a team! Um, so we'll see. Wow. One of one of the six of us will yep. go onto the prelims. Who knows we'll, who it will be? Cool. Uh, today we have a couple of interviews with Leader Games. It's really funny how this worked out, though, because we were we were in Minneapolis all of last week. Uh, I don't. We were we were working on stuff and things that we wanted to work on, and we were hanging out, yeah. uh, enjoying the wonderful company of all the people at Leader Games, and. We were so busy, we only recorded half of the episode. So we have an in-person interview with Nick Brockman about the Ahoy expansion that I'm very yeah. excited about. And then we did not work in time to <laughs> interview Cole in person. So I've done that today virtually. So there's also a, an ARCS update with Cole, uh, with uh, him and I. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, these are both going to be really great uh, if you're excited about um, either of these projects, yeah. the new Ahoy expansion or ARCs, uh, you're going to get a lot of tasty nuggets. Let me say in particular, if you ha are yet to be sold on Ahoy yeah. in general, um, listen to Nick talk about the new uh, factions for yeah. the Ahoy expansion. They're very interesting. I think they're going to um, no shade at, at Ahoy base game. I enjoy it. Um, but I do think they are going to kind of level up yep. the entire experience uh, by quite a lot. And a lot of the ideas are very exciting. Yeah. Um, so so definitely, definitely listen to that part. It's it's quite good. Yeah. And the ARCS interview, uh, if, if you're the kind of listener of Space Cats that generally tunes out of like our off topic stuff, I would check out this this one. Uh, this one, we talk about a lot of the ways in which ARCS feels very similar to ti and and yeah. even more to the point of like the fact that leader games is is making this game very much for our audience uh so i think this will be the one that starts to like perk people's ears up uh in terms of like what the negotiating style of arcs is and what the sort of flavor of a full game can look like uh i i, yeah. I think these things will start to sound more and more familiar <laughs> to our audience I think one of the most exciting things about arcs that, that y'all talk about is this idea that, you know, I don't like the agenda phase uh -huh. in Twilight Imperium. Uh -huh. I don't like it. I'm on record. Uh -huh. I've said that many times. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that try to sort of fix or tweak the agenda phase. And the fact that the spiritually the agenda phase is kind of being echoed yep. in arcs with a very different take that I like a whole lot <laughs> um, is should be of interest to yeah. those of you that desire the big like council meeting moment yeah. in TI that 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 want things to really have consequence in mm -hmm. uh that phase. Yeah. Um you know, no no shade at the agenda phase we have. It right. does some sometimes it's magical. Sometimes it works. I I, yeah. I want to say that every time I criticize it, sometimes it just works yeah. and it's unbelievable. Right. But Sometimes it's just not, and that's just kind of how <laughs> it is. Sometimes it's just uh, 45 extra minutes on the game. <laughs> Sometimes a lot of people talk. It's, it's you know, sound and fury. <laughs> uh, well, let's dive in with our first interview with Nick. Yar. So, Nick. Yeah. Ahoy. 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 How, how are, are you? I'm great. How are you? <laughs> Hunter hates how I start every possible no, thing. No, no, no. Why, why yeah. would I hate it? No. How could I hate it? How could, how could I? 300 plus episodes. How I've could I hate how, to how start you one. start? Yeah. How could I sit here and hate on you at the start of every single segment? And still be here? How would I do that? Mm -hmm. That's what I ask. Yeah. How would I? I'd have to be incredible. <laughs> 
I'd have to be an incredible person uh-huh. Uh-huh. in order to do that. Well, we know that. <laughs> so, of course, logically, it follows. Uh, so you are working on the Ahoy expansion. Yep. Does it have a name yet? Uh, it doesn't. There's cool. It's because it's the. It's probably gonna. We don't know exactly how many products we're making yeah. for it. It's probably mm-hmm. going to be three products at the end of it. Oh. So it's probably going to be um, one product containing um, one of the two-player mm-hmm. replacement factions and one of the third-party factions. Another one containing the gotcha. other two, and then a third. Uh, like small products that we always do it'll be like weather or uh, yeah, treasures or cursed goods that's, cool. that's kind of the, the like third little, project little packets to, yes. to attach to yeah yeah that's kind of how we're going with it it looks like that's um, cool um yeah. also what's your name real quick oh yeah uh, my name's uh, nick brockman nick brockman Yay. yeah yep. awesome you can find me online <laughs> yeah <laughs> you can All look me. me you can look me up <laughs> yeah yeah you find. subscribe yeah yeah um, like and subscribe everybody <laughs> yeah um let's talk about these so so ahoy if you don't know yeah. um is uh the way we've described it uh it mm-hmm. would be like root light yep, it's an totally. asymmetrical uh exploration strategy game yep. yeah um, with four kind of locked in factions yep. and what this expansion is bringing is some alternate factions it's Correct. not about just adding outward Correct. it's just like let's take a part of this ecosystem and replace some of it so so tell us a little bit about these factions totally. that are that um, are going to be replacing our the old ones yeah yeah so so like you said yeah one of the big things of note is yeah it doesn't increase the player count right, right. this is still a two to four player game um so for the two player replacements um the uh, the replacement for the bluefin squadron is the blackfish brigade right um so one of the trickiest things about doing development for the expansion content was um developing content for a game that wasn't supposed to be expanded mm-hmm. right um <laughs> I, I hear that a lot at leader games yeah. I was, I, as, as a, it's, it's extra funny because like i was also i was the developer on ahoy so yeah. i was the person closing all of those doors <laughs> like personally yeah. right like I, I was just, i was even told to do so right yeah <laughs> Um, this is this is how we should do it. Um, right. So it was, you know, like coming back to it and seeing like all of the nuts and bolts I had yeah, hammered yeah. down and being like, all right, how well, am I gonna? How am I gonna? I do this. Yeah. Let's unhammer now. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Kind of where can you leverage back into it? Because um, people who have played the game um, know that there's um, kind of two main control pieces in the mm-hmm. game. There's the the patrols, and then there's the comrades. Right. Right. And um, it's a common term in the game. It's used across multiple components. It's on yes. people's player boards and stuff. So I, at the beginning of the project, had a, a layout sheet that was just saying almost everything that needed to still remain in the other factions. Because by cutting it, you you kill something in the original. Right. So there um, has to be a patrol. There has to be a patrol for well, these guys. Patrol right? means can change. Exactly. But... <laughs> but he does need to summon patrols, right? The other faction <laughs> right. does need to summon comrades. Um, and so the big trick for them was trying to figure out how how do you have a faction who is still trying to, at the end of the day, accomplish essentially the same goal? I need to put points of influence onto the map, but how do I make the puzzle, the input completely different, right? right. Um, so where we landed on this one was um, essentially much more like, um, kind of more like a traditional dice placement um, game or like a roll and write almost, where a lot of the dice slots on their board um, will tell you that you now gain patrols. And those right. patrols you actually don't gain immediately onto the map. You're gaining them off-site into the whale pod mm-hmm. that they control. Um, I would almost call it like, it's very similar to the moles um, underground. Right. Well, you can start mm-hmm. recruiting your guys, you can start building up your forces, but they are not on the map yet. Yes. Then you can take your migrate action where you can now send the whale pod across the map. Mm-hmm. And as the whale pod moves, it will drop off the patrols that you've accumulated into the pod throughout it. Um, and then they kind of have a triangulation puzzle where after they've summoned the 
patrols onto the map, they now need to surge using their flagship to the patrols. And then whenever they um, they, they go along a straight line, they remove any of the comrades yeah. that they that mm-hmm. they bash through mm-hmm. on it. So they have a lot more uh, range than mm-hmm. the original faction right. where the bluefin would, you know, kind of come in, bombard the singular area they're right. in. Um, these guys are able to triangulate much larger maneuvers where you can, you know, set yourself up to clear out two or three yeah. in a single go or that something. That was like. the nut I could never crack. Yep. I played sharks oh, yeah. so many times and I was like, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do about the mollusks. Yeah. I can only target one island at yeah. a time. What yeah, I, yeah it, was, it was a tricky puzzle. Uh, in in like getting into the the factions, yeah. I mean, there has to be a push and pull of, you know, wanting to make something different. But like, are, is there any fear of this being like, well, this is just the replacement now? Like, people are just going to use this and stop using the sharks uh, or whatever. I, I would certainly say there's like a concern, of course, yeah. right? <laughs> but at the same time, I think of it. Um, I've talked about it so much more um, in terms of like fighting games and fighting game characters. Yeah. And um, the, bl- the um, Bluefin Squadron, the, mm-hmm. the base faction, Blue Faction, is kind of like your button mashy faction. Sure. Like, is what I say. Is like you can give it to a player who's maybe not as skilled when they start playing the game, and you'll often see the curve in. I've seen so many feedback reports for Ahoy, and they often go. The bluefin is so strong. How do you ever win the game? <laughs> what the heck are you supposed to do against the bluefin? Followed by um, what I always call is like the skill gap coming in where the the mollusk union and same thing with the shellfire kind of have um, more of a skill differential where they can, there's more area where you can explore how to be better at them. Right. Um, and suddenly when you start to get more skillful as them, you start to see their win rate go back up. Right. And now they are actually needing to play counter rather than uh-huh. um, in the base game often, the faction kind of just trudges along doing its own thing, putting right. out the things as they go. Um, that's how you play them, by the way. Yeah, is you just you just do your own thing. I've tried everything. But EJ EJ is just way too good at the mollusks. Yeah, I yeah, I, I do believe that. He just came in hard and yeah. was wins every time. It so. happens. It happens. <laughs> yeah. No, so the, the it's um, trying to make sure they have a different feel was one yeah. of the biggest things because of that. Um, because they are, you can't have them both in the game, right? I still wanted it to be like, well, they feel much different. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody who's played these has said that. Um, the complexity of these is quite a bit higher. Um, right. There's there's more to think about. It's harder to puzzle out how to mm-hmm. even do good. Um, I expect people to lose as the Blackfish Brigade probably even more than the original fact. Like uh-huh. I'd like to start, but I yeah. do think this one has more of that strategic depth mm-hmm. where people right. can now, yeah, okay, I can start building the map certain ways yeah. if I'm making choices about what crew are actually available right. um, is where a lot of their new like planning comes so in. So the ceiling is high. Yes, exactly. Basically. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Is, is what I think. For these that's ones. good. Yeah. Would you say overall that's kind of the goal of the expansion? Like, is this for this is for people that have worn out the base game? Yeah. Or yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would say it's for people who have are like just give me more. I want to see. Yeah. I, I'm I'm interested in thinking about it more and more difficult. I'm. Uh, we saw that people are comfortable with more rules. Yeah. Is one yeah. of the big things, and it's Absolutely. like. As a developer, it's always cool when you go, okay, I can I can spend more rules. We got more rules. Yeah, like I can I can come up with some more stuff if that's what you need. Um, so getting to have that space um, what was really exciting. But the other part that's so was so difficult is Ahoy is such a it's such a tight game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I, I don't know how to say it any other way than that, but like players only have four actions around. Um, there's not a lot of things that can come in and change the math on that. So yeah. whenever you're again, it's that like input output thing, like if everybody's input is four dice only, plus yeah. like maybe an action card or maybe another thing, how much space do you have to make those four actions suddenly output either, you know, uh, increasing four regions on the map right. or putting out 10 points of influence? Like there's almost these benchmarks, yeah. I would say that um, you can compare the factions to where it's like, well, the base game faction 
regardless of how they get there or anything like that, they put out X amount of points of control, mm -hmm. right? Roughly. And trying to have yeah, similar inputs that just math out to it has been one of the yeah. trickiest things for it. Well, tell me about the mollusk yeah. replacement. Um, so the mollusk replacement is, I think, my favorite one. Cool. Um, they're the, it's the Shellfire Rebellion. So it's a uh, army of rebellion turtles. And the yes. <laughs> so they still have to have comrades, of course, right. like the other ones. Um, but the big thing that um, makes them different is that the difficulty of how you put the comrades out is much harder. So at the end of every turn, um, you have these catapults that are going to be able to launch all of your turtles uh, at range onto islands. <laughs> so you have a, a range die that you'll roll at the beginning of every round. It's ranged uh, one, two, three, or four. And that's going to be how, essentially how far back your guys pulled the catapults this turn. That's how far you're going to be launching guys. Mm -hmm. So they have um, a neat puzzle every round where they're trying to, you know, okay, I rolled a one this round. Now I need to get close to the islands so I can launch directly onto them. I roll a three next round. Now I need to back up, get back into range. Right. Um, being able to build out multiple ships so that you can, you know, start controlling different areas. Mm -hmm. um, the launchers also are capable of launching over sandbars or over, <laughs> or over gaps in the map oh, as cool. well. Yeah. So the the map, the thing I think so many people, um, the best thing about Ahoy, I feel like honestly, in some ways, is the map. Yeah. The, and trying to see how much people can leverage that with new factions has been right. really exciting. Yeah. Um, there's a ton of game to be played in just deciding how you're orienting those tiles. Yeah. And I think these two factions are really spatial in that mm -hmm. way. Um, they both care about straight lines, exactly how many spaces away are things. But the um, the way that they work still is they still have two um, action cards also that they're getting every round. Mm -hmm. And those action cards are still the, you know, the equivalent to their fifth die or their uh -huh. bonus secret actions that right. they're holding, things that will allow them to shoot at yeah. the the um, the patrols. That's now a whole new deck, of, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, a whole new deck of uh, of plans that they can use. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that's um, fun. Especially for us, that's fun because it sounds like we have some rebellion turtles. Yes, as opposed to our kind of establishment <laughs> peace turtles. The yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, exactly. You can yeah. have a bit more rowdy turtles. <laughs> yeah, rowdy turtles, which is what we would if we yeah. did a podcast yeah. about Ahoy. It would be called rowdy, rowdy turtles. turtles. I'm not catapult sure. Turtles. Turtles, yeah. Catapult turtles. Careening turtles. Wow. So it'd just be turtles would get both sides yeah. of yeah. the name of the podcast. That's yeah. interesting. They have a real good like Koopa shell energy to them <laughs> of just like hucking, you know, <laughs> shells around the map, dealing damage and whatnot. So. This is a funny thing to ask at this point because yeah. you did just pretty in-depth describe like two factions. But yeah. um, where are we at as far as uh, development on this? Like oh, how totally. much of what you just said actually is going to be tossed out um, and perhaps not even um, the This thing? is... Here, here. This is further along than a lot of our stuff awesome. often is. Um, awesome. I, I, knock on wood. Uh, <laughs> no, the um, you know, we haven't gone to backer kit yet. Um, okay. And yeah, yeah. We're doing that in a month, and often before we go to those, these things would be much more in flux than they are. Mm -hmm. um, the Blackfish Brigade and the Shellfire Rebellion, I would confidently say, have less than. 20% of them, honestly, like 10% of them, that's going to change at this okay. point. Um, they've seen a lot of testing. They, they work clearly really well. Um, the Leviathan, I'd say, is in a similar spot. And then the the fourth role, the Magnate, has recently gone through a whole dev change. So okay. Okay. that version, I'm not sure how that one's going to float still. Right. I had a I had a completely different cut a week ago, sure. um, essentially. Well, what's the top line of of that, the Magnate? Yeah, so, so what he's doing now, um, he's the Magnate. So he <laughs> right. used to be the Swindler. Um, and oh. that was, I'll, I'll talk about it cause it was interesting. Um, <laughs> no, it was, I was, I was really, you know, sometimes you have, um, like design tricks you're trying to pull off right. almost. And it was like, it was a cool trick, but it didn't work. And the way the, the swindler worked was 
he would put out um, resources onto the map. Uh, he could put out pearls or he could put out weapons caches every time he moved. And when an enemy would pick up a pearl, they would immediately get two gold. And when an enemy would pick up a weapons cache, they would roll an off suit, you know, an extra die, uh -huh. and they would assign that to their cannons automatically. Whoa. Wow. They would then get points equal to the region for every time something was picked up. Mm -hmm. So now, and then they had a game where they could like build hotels and they could increase the region values. <laughs> so you could see, you know, there's this cool like economy that fills yeah. back where it's like, mm -hmm. I can, I, okay, now when you pick up my pearls, I get two points mm -hmm. and you get the mm -hmm. one. Um, Player-driven economy stuff is so hard. Yeah, that's <laughs> right, <laughs> right. what I learned. And uh, after, um, yeah, like it was, uh, it ran into a lot of the same difficulties that a faction like the River Folk does. Yeah. Right. Um, which is what I learned, and you mm -hmm. know, still a good lesson. But so the new version of the uh, of the swindler, I'll call him the magnate now, or like yeah. the captain. Um, his main goal is about um, commanding his whole fleet. So at the beginning of the game, you'll have um, one of each suit for each ship that are for each. You'll have a ship for each suit that there is in mm -hmm. the game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you have six ships that you can potentially get captained. And at the beginning of the game, you need to go hire captains for all of them. Right. So your first arc of the game, you'll be sailing to islands, trying to find, you know, the red captain, mm -hmm. the orange captain for the boat. Oh, Once you find them, that's fun. You can hire them onto the boat. Um, you'll get fame for hiring them. You'll also get fame depending on how good of a captain you hire. So you'll know that in Ahoy, there's different um, crew cards. They cost one gold, two gold, or a die. Um, you'll actually get scaling VP depending on which mm -hmm. one you. So if you get a captain who requires a die assignment, you'll get three VP right. assigned to the boat. Um, and then each boat has a bespoke kind of scoring opportunity. Um, so as you unlock boats, you'll, you could unlock the, uh, the ruffian, for example, which at the end of every turn, it can deal a damage or remove a comrade in its area. If you do that, you get one point and then you increase the region. Mm -hmm. So all of them come with this, um, this kind of cost balance of how much can I continue to score my points while still knowing that I'm going to increase the region values mm -hmm. for them. Um, with that also, they have um, essentially a crew that they're trying to acquire throughout the game. So at the end of the game, the boats have a, a set collection that they're trying to complete mm -hmm. where you can score up to seven points right. if you get your full boat together. So if you get you know, the skull captain and he's got his first mate, his gunner, and his captain's hand, mm -hmm. at the end of the game, this will get you seven points. Right. Um, counter to that, though, um, your boats need to be in good shape. Um, so you actually also lose points at the end of the game for every damage that you have mm -hmm. on all of your boats because right. people are upset. Wow. Okay. Um, wow. So there's this... Um, this neat, the thing that they kind of have, the arc that's cool is you start out as one little guy um, and then by the end of the game, your uh, your sail action scales. So where often when you sail in the game, you move one ship up to two spaces, um, their sail action is called parade and they can assign up to a up to a four to it and that's how many boats they can move wow. is sail action. So once you have three or four boats out, you assign one die, you can move four of your fleets out, they can go, this one can go fight a thing, this other one can repair something, this yeah. one can explore, you can score points from, you know, those completing their minor objectives, yeah. maybe yeah. send them to go get more crew. It's like a ragtag team of, of pirates. <laughs> exactly, yeah. The end of it. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah. It does feel like the most, like you're just like a notorious captain mm -hmm. or something yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's fun. notably though, like compared to the, turtles and the whales much less a replacement yes for, for the smugglers yeah. and it's just like here's this other here's thing kind thing. of entirely i mean yes. they, uh, the yes. only thing i would notice like yeah they they increase the they value increase the regions, regions and they pick up crew right right yeah. uh is it kind of like the same amount of crew pickup as a, like smugglers it felt like so many cards were getting Oh, chucked sure. out the window mm -hmm. yeah. from the table. Is is it about the same value? I think it's it's slightly lower right yeah. now um, because I'm definitely leaning on the I'd rather have them pull slightly less cards yeah. than trying to keep it roughly the same just because in those two double swindler, right. double smuggler games, the market can move so fast yeah. that I don't, I'm hesitant to have another faction who's really ripping yeah. through the market very fast. But right. you're totally right that the, the main 
um, there's a few, you know, what did this faction have to have? And yeah. the thing that they had to have was they have to increase the region right. values. Right. Um, other than that, you can they could be allowed to do, they, they're yeah. allowed to do almost anything in the game. Right. Um, that was why the old version like almost worked where they were like selling goods. I mean, yeah. the other one the old version did was they would like, um, they would go up to the market, they could get guys onto their board and then they would like, I would sail over to Hunter and I could like sell him the guys on oh, my boat right. and now I'd get like more money for them. So like, yeah. it was still playing in a similar cool. delivery space. Right. Um, but it was Ahoy also has only so many um, you know, pieces in the game. Yeah. Like there's there's crew cards, there's gold, right, right. there's damage, there's tiles. Right. And trying to find new ways to like just use those things to generate points was um, surprisingly tricky. And it's yeah. it's where it's like I there was something really clever about that <laughs> them scoring yeah. off of one of the third party roles scoring off of the dice values was it was really interesting to me. But I mm -hmm. learned uh, the the dev lesson was essentially if if either of the two third party factions are concerned at all about the region values you have this centralization of the game that gets yeah. completely messed up oh sure um because when you think about the smuggler he genuinely doesn't care almost at all where he's delivering <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. he's, he's yeah. if he can deliver yeah. closest one first right that's <laughs> right closest first i'll explore if i got to yeah. right um and because and if if the smuggler you could imagine delivered to got bonus points for delivering to a region that was worth two or worth three or something i'm now just slamming driving those same goods back right. to the yeah. same position right. every right. time um, so making sure that they grew in ways that would make sure the map was still interesting was really yeah. important. Um, well, the it, the boldest new direction yeah. I would assume is the. I'm even just looking at the thing yeah. right now and the knowing the name. The, the Leviathan is not a smuggler and yeah, certainly not. It doesn't, doesn't have seem a boat. like much of a character. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't yes. have a boat. Yes, correct. He doesn't have a boat. <laughs> There's right. no boat. It, yeah, no, it's not even a boat. It's this just, is a Hoy faction. No boat. No boat. <laughs> We're boatless. We're boatless on yeah. this one. Yeah. We're going boatless. No, the Leviathan is, I think, maybe like, it's like the coolest. I'll yeah. say it's, it's the yeah. one that I certainly expect people to like when they see the Kickstarter backer kit page. <laughs> when they see the backer kit page, they're I think that's the one that will be like, Oh, what you can like play as a, it's the it's the same thing i feel like why well, like, crystal caverns is so cool it's like you can play as the dragon yeah, you can yeah. play as the cave it's, it's like vagabond it's the, the suddenly it's the, like, like what is this you one can also doing, be a though. sea monster yeah, yeah. Right. so um the way they work they're um every kind of has like their their central conceit where they're going to able to be able to save actions um their big one that i got away with was they're a track pusher <laughs> you're ready you want uh so it's an ahoy faction with some tracks um, yeah. so they have uh, they have a few aspects to their body um you know you're a giant leviathan you have your speed you have your fangs and you have your actual size wow. so at the beginning of the game these all start small um but at the at the start of every turn, you'll always move uh, spaces equal to your speed. These are forced, compelled moves. Imagine mm -hmm. like snake. You just your body has to go yeah. forward. Right. Um, and anytime you do those moves, though, you will get to place any available body pieces that you have behind your uh, Leviathan head. So after Leviathan wow. moves, you'll leave behind a body piece in the area. Hilarious. Right. Um, then you'll eventually run out of body pieces. So you need to get more body pieces. How do you get those? Um, you can get them by consuming a matching crew from the islands that are nearby. You mm. can also get them by attacking um, adjacent pieces. Uh, and then you also can get it by consuming comrades off of islands. Oh, so cool. they have uh, kind of three ways to do it. Um, and then the other big things are that they have um, these three, or sorry, six evolution cards 
where they have uh, gold plating, uh, massive size, an extra head, spiked, wow. uh, sturdy, and then they also can unlock a giant saddle. Uh, <laughs> because uh, originally at the beginning of the game, the Leviathan uh, can't take a crew. He can't hold crew. Right. Of course, right. he's not, like we yeah. said, he's not it's a, a monster. Boat. It's yeah. not a boat. Yeah. Where would they go? No but if he decides to evolve <laughs> and grow a giant saddle on his back, That's, he can now start taking on hilarious. crew. Again, into it. That um, is that is a very some you said yes to that someone said yes yeah, to that is, and it yeah. and it happened and that's yes. a great idea yeah no, I think um, games are supposed to be funny yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the games and games and humor have a they share a big relationship at least for me especially if Kyle Farron's doing your art oh for right. sure right there's there's such in. a charm yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then so back to Leviathan. Um, so they're going to be moving around the map, putting out these body pieces every time. And the reason they need to do that is at the end of the round, they score a point for every single piece that they have on the map. So their goal is to just become literally as big as possible, yeah, right. take over as much space as they can. Um, but critically, they can they can never double up body pieces in an area. Right. So they can't just like go in a circle and keep going. So right, they constantly are keep, yep, yeah, yeah, exactly. So they keep going around trying to find new areas. And then the kind of cutback on it is... Um, Whenever anybody scores a region where they have uh, where there's a Leviathan piece, they'll score one extra point for that region. So oh, he's like okay. pseudo increasing region value, right. but he never to touches that. the dice. He's yep. not the dice don't move, but yep. you kind of maybe you're okay with keeping the snake around. Yes, but then the and then it cuts back. And the counter side is then yeah. the snake's too close to you, and now he starts eating your patrols yeah. and devouring yeah. your comrades. Wow. Um, really so there's funny. a he has a really good. Um, He's a really neat kind of like third party, like half balancing mm -hmm. faction. Mm -hmm. um, but he also feels um, very independent. I said that um, if if the old version of the Swindler that I described was similar to the Riverfolk, this is like the Lord of the Hundreds right. of, oh, yeah. of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course. A, a very individual piece, yeah. wants to be by itself. Right. Um, mm -hmm. the, the head piece is the leader is the strong one. Mm -hmm. um, and my other favorite thing about this faction is as you advance the tracks, um, you know, you'll get more fangs, which increases your attack rolls. You'll get more sides, which gives you more body pieces. But whenever you hit one of these extra head spaces, you get to unlock another uh, another Leviathan head that you grow and you can attach that anywhere you want oh, onto the map. Wow. So you can put it adjacent. And now this head over here can be attacking. That way, right. Yeah, and these guys can be dealing with this. So they wow. have a, uh, a very cool. How, what the what are the really cool. max heads? What uh, do they got? can get up to? They can get up to one, two, three. They start with one, four. They can get up to it? five. There's a fifth one. Oh. They can get up to five head. heads. Yeah, five, five headed Leviathan yeah. with yep. one giant body. Yes, with one that giant body all... that's all connected under the sea. Yeah, <laughs> yep. and all over. Yeah, yep. that's insane. Yep. That's that's a very wild faction. Yeah, I, it's been. What I like about everything is what I would describe. I would always described Ahoy as before because it was really three factions. Yep, just yeah, two correct. people. Sure, two smugglers. Of course, of course. But even within all of that, it was like. I, I said it was just a sailing game. Sure. It's it is it's not so much of like a territory control. It, yeah. it always, mm -hmm. At least with our group, no, it totally. always felt like just move. You got to yeah, always just exploration. Just yeah, always moving. be sailing. Yep. You're not like at war with anybody. Totally. Yep. You're all sailing in the yes. same seas yep. or whatever. But it feels like all of this stuff is is pulling away from that and trying to come up with new ways to actually yeah. force that conflict. Yeah. So to get more directly in the middle of it. And yeah. I mean, it's really it's one of the the trickiest parts. Certainly, is making these two factions. Um, interact with the um the large factions making yeah. the two third party ones right um because it's such a delicate balance right once if, if the leviathan shoves his head under the water you know the, the yellow player suddenly the blue player just wins right, right. so it's a right. very careful um right. very careful spot to be because the only person right. countering him is 
right. the yellow player. Yeah. Entanglement. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's it yeah. the whole thing, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, certainly one of the goals was to, I mean, you're, you're see, like, taking the words out of my mouth of like a playtest I had two, two days ago on the old version of the Magnite where I was like, this is cool, but like, I'm kind of just sailing. <laughs> and I, yeah. I, I like, I, you know, I can, I can critique my own work. I mean, it's definitely my, my biggest, um, the biggest downside of the smuggler certainly is, I mean, is hey, how often listen, the... Cole took a sailing the other day. It's great. Sailing's yeah, it's pretty fun. actually docking. Yeah, sailing. yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. just saying. Same. A lot of sailing. The base game Ahoy was very a focused on this. Yeah, a lot of sailing. Yeah. Also, yeah. exploration is just a fun thing to do. Yeah, it is. I, oh, the map building is so cool in that yeah. game. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Um, I just want to, so... We've we've heard about the base, the the, the big tent pole components, yeah. and they they sound very interesting. But I do want to ask at this point, mm -hmm. because y'all designed the game not to have an expansion, mm -hmm. why did you then change your mind? Yeah, well, um, what triggered that? So I think it uh, this I'm not a hundred percent sure myself. Shall I say here? I, this is this is what I remember. I'm not a, you yeah, know, yeah, I don't, yeah. I'm not a hundred percent the one who decides these things. <laughs> right. Um, fr from what I gleaned, it was about um, about recognizing like. I think the game didn't find its audience as much as we expected. Yeah, uh, genuinely. Like, I think um, it didn't have a crowdfunding campaign. Mm -hmm. um, the show came out. There was like weird things with its release, and when it got delayed a little bit. Right. Um, and I think we just kind of wanted to like a lot of a lot of reasons people do faction expansions is it's like it's like double down on your product. It's showing like you really do stand by it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, it, maybe maybe somebody didn't buy the first game because they, right. they they heard it was okay or it's, they heard it's loot right light root and mm -hmm. I don't need that. Right. Um. But suddenly when, you know, we are there saying again, like, no, this game's cool. I've, I personally think it's cool. Yeah, I've right. made four more things for it. That's how, how much I think there is to explore. Right. Um, it kind of just like shows confidence in the product and stuff. And like, I do think that Ahoy, I think Ahoy should be more popular. I think yeah. it's part of the reason we want to do the expansion. Like, I think it has, um, the thing that often said in the studio is like, if I had to teach from fresh, like one of our games to somebody, and I had all of them available, I would probably teach Ahoy. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's, it's very natural in the way that it's, it plays. It's fast. Yeah. It's fast. Yeah. There's not a lot of, not a lot of things that like are not, it, it's really traditional in its game. You, you roll dice, you place yeah. them into the spots. Um, mm -hmm. There's not a lot of like weird gamer things. Like I remember <laughs> trying to teach one of my family members Fort. And you're like, oh, like halfway through the teacher, like there's like a lot of rules that like only mean something if you've played other games yeah. almost, yeah. which is like kind of hard. Um, so I think like I think it'll be cool to see um, just like what else people want to explore yeah. about it. And I think the, the big one for me, too, was like um, I do think of them often as like worlds yeah. or whatnot um, that, that we work in and stuff. And Ahoy did feel a little bit like I'm like, there's like a few cool if, if we can't do a million pirate games, right? Right. Uh, we can't just keep doing pirate games. Um, and if this is our pirate game, they're worth some things where I'm like, it'd be cool if the pirate game we made had like a sea monster yeah. right. or like whatnot. And it's like, yeah, I mean, don't do another, not certainly don't do another water game and put a sea monster uh -huh. in it if right. we can use right. the one right. that we have. And we like, we already have a water game. We already have, yeah. yeah. There's there's ways to to infuse the world with those, you know, those new exciting things. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, I think that, um, you know, <laughs> having a, it's just a completely different narrative almost to be like, oh, there's there's stories that take place at sea and there's stories that take place at sea that have sea monsters. Right. And you know what I mean? And like, those aren't the same stories, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. like fundamentally. And right, it's yeah. like, so by doing just that, you're able to suddenly introduce so much other content. Yeah. I mean, the the like tertiary content, like the small box, you know, we always do like kind of a small freebie. Mm -hmm. um, that's most likely looking like it's going to be like weather and like cursed objects yeah. or like a weird yeah. treasure you get off the ground. Because again, it's like... It, Ahoy, I do think in, in some of its best ways, um, it kind of 
<laughs> to your points about it being a sailing game, it kind of is just a game about like being out on the water. Yeah. It's kind of got like the, a lot of one of the compliments it gets often is like it kind of has all the things you expect in a pirate game. <laughs> right. Right. Like right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's strong currents, sandbar. Yeah. There's gold. Right. There's crew. You yeah. get like it, it just right. it just has a nice like jolly on the boat kind of feel. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think like you know one of the small expansions is going to be like weather and this stuff. And it's like I think weather and cursed treasure and stuff is like those are so in the tropes of yeah. mm-hmm. pirate stuff. Where it's like yeah, no, it makes sense. Like it was storm me like right. that if the game can support that it's cool to have the world be able to be you know more expressive in that way right yeah. um, and still maintaining like this straightforward uh like like play style exactly that I really like i mean it's it's weird calling it when i call it root light it feels a little bit like a slight against mm, it yeah but i also feel like there's something that comes along with that is where it feels and i think this will will lock it into that of like it's also a curated type of root. Yes. You know what I mean? Like yes. root, root now has like a very wide net. There's yep. a lot of different ways yep. to play it. Yeah. But this is four players yep. and this is the relationship between these yeah, factions. I mean, it's it's crazy how like full circle this this one is when I think about it in hindsight, because it's like the the similarities between this and um, a lot of the work I did on TMM yeah. mm-hmm. are so identical because vast the mysterious manner. Yeah, yeah. thank <laughs> Sorry. you. Yeah, yeah. Vast the mysterious manner. Um because when Vast Mysterious Manor also has four roles, five if you play five player. Right. They all have to have to be in the game, you know, right. again, depending on how you want to run it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then one of the big challenges for it was the expansion content Haunted Hallways has a replacement yellow faction and it has a replacement red faction. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's more of a tailored experience of what that person's going to be going through, opposed right. to, yeah, the Marquis de Cat in a game with Corvid Riverfolk another yeah. thing it's it's being impacted by them where it's like these you kind of do get to sit down and play the game right that that, that that's what it is you're the guy right. who has to go kill the spider yeah. that's, you that's can just bring your those job. expectations across exactly yeah. yeah Ahoy is genuinely my favorite one to bring to like a new group or whatever yeah which I, don't, I don't even do very often but it's mm. like I yeah, really you... do like setting up Ahoy with like three other people that have mm-hmm. never played it or whatever mm-hmm. oh yeah it's because because I think it it like gets to the point right away. Whereas yeah. it's like, you know, with, with root, like obviously we, we love root, but with root, it's like, you'll get it on your sixth session. Man. Yeah. Like, yeah. Don't worry about this game. You'll get it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. like you finish one game of Ahoy and everyone's like, I think I'm clicking into like what yeah. we're really doing here. Yeah. And, and I think it still has that strategic promise yeah. while being grokkable yeah. <laughs> on the first try. That's what I've always liked about yeah. it. Yeah. No, yeah. I think that, um, that's one of the things I think hopefully the expansion stuff will yeah. will show too because yeah I think the um you know it has the like any game you you play it a few times and you go okay I think I know how these dynamics yeah. work and even just being able to give somebody a new blue faction to throw against like oh you think your friends really good at the mollusk union yeah. well okay sure make them play the shellfire rebellion yeah. now they have a new puzzle they need to learn yeah. and yeah. you can maybe still just play the bluefin right. if you're not <laughs> if you're still yeah like, if that's what you need to do right or like <laughs> or maybe if the blackfish seems stronger or more like you're you know you're yeah. more just tuned to that type of play style right. um, because it's it's interesting how I've seen the um, they're they're just different types of puzzles. I've seen people who are good at one be bad at the other. Yeah, um, right. Because it's it's much more like um, vast in that way where it's yeah. about what what type of processing are you doing? This guy's looking for straight lines. This guy's looking for dice manipulation. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you might find one that's in, in a way that's like a little bit more specific. I think sometimes you'll find people who are like, I don't want to do that one at all. Yeah. Um, but I do really like right. the Leviathan or whatnot. Um, so we know why I'm about to bring out bring up what I'm going to bring up, mm-hmm. um, but maybe the listener doesn't know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I don't really care sure. to explain to the listener why okay. this makes sense to us. But are there any Yu-Gi-Oh references? <laughs> 
and uh, Ahoy or the expansion. In this one, yeah. <laughs> Let me double check. Okay, so here I'll I'll say like I I think so yeah yeah um, because um, the 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 Blackfish Brigade the whales uh, if you uh, somewhere on my mood board there's a, a picture of there's actually two there's two good references um, the Blackfish Brigade if you look up I think it's called Colossal Whale mm-hmm. uh, it's a Yu-Gi-Oh card or Fortress Whale Fortress yeah, Whale Fortress Whale Fortress Whale and it's a giant whale with a big battleship on its back mm-hmm. it's like such a cool Yu-Gi-Oh card that's one of the biggest things i'll say Yu-Gi-Oh. if you think you had like a cool idea for a character or something Yu-Gi-Oh did it <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh already did it in a set like 10 years ago i promise right. the number like it's almost a joke as kyle will post art i'll like i'll find a Yu-Gi-Oh card that's like as similar to it as possible because uh, <laughs> there's always something that's like right. like like it a little right. bit right um and then the uh, the shellfire rebellion um there's a there's a Yu-Gi-Oh card called literally called catapult turtle wow <laughs> literally it's just it's called catapult turtle Turtle, and you can wow. like and you can send your mount you can discard them off the map and they just like deal damage to the opponent's face <laughs> so like i think the shellfire rebellion is is just a Yu-Gi-Oh yeah. reference yeah. when you really think about it have you thought about maybe for the cursed treasure there could be a treasure that's cut into five different pieces <laughs> sure, a puzzle what? of some sort yeah 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 i think that's a good one yeah yeah oh yeah i know all about the millennium objects <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I you... made an Exodia reference yesterday and Patty yelled at me. <laughs> ah, nice, nice. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah. this was uh, this was really fun. I'm really excited about yeah, the expansion. Yeah, um, it's going to be great. And, yeah, I think uh, so too. Yeah, thanks for thanks for giving us your time. Thank you I guys. Appreciate it. it's just me now and i'm here with cole it's matt and cole the matt and cole show uh i'm so sad because we didn't get to sneak this interview in while we were in person but god darn it we were just too dang busy while uh we were visiting you all in minneapolis yeah it turns out that uh when you have three active projects and a bunch of people to interview (laughs) and also a city to see (laughs) that there may be less time to talk about spaceships yeah Yeah, absolutely Uh, But it also hasn't luckily been too long since we got to chat with you. We hung out at Gen Con. We got to we got to play some arcs Uh, at that point. Basically, base arcs, you know, had been and has been locked in and beautiful uh, for a while. And y'all were shifting focus to uh, campaign, you know, tidying up campaign development and everything. And the thing I've noted, this was like when Hunter and I were like, all right, let's start like investing our brains into arcs and this proved my theory of my brain's really bad at development because even though probably from your guys's perspective you were doing small iterations to me it felt like every week there was like a major change to flagships or events or or like a few of the fates or whatever it was it, it, like i felt like i was uh, getting crazy whiplash even though it was like yeah we changed like three sentences <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it, but this is how this is the um this is the bump of development, yes. right? I mean, I, I think about the um, the changes over the past, like several weeks have mm-hmm. been changes in setup and teardown that have huge implications, but are like a sentence Yeah, that, that goes a little bit. Um, we introduced, there was one update that like slightly changed how the Imperial demand like taxation system worked Yeah, that probably generated like 20 pages of discussion on the playtesting <laughs> discord and it really was like a very subtle alteration of of, of right, the game right. um but i mean that's that's just how development goes and it, it becomes this is the state 
where I think as a as a player, I start to like lose my grip on the game mm-hmm. because there are now I can handle a lot of different major versions of a game existing yeah. in my head, yeah. but now that we're in the like dot updates and the dot <laughs> zero one updates yeah now it's all it's all muddy and goofy and so whenever I, we do play tests i always have to print a fresh set of rules yeah and be very like laborious and say like okay we have to make sure that we're playing by the actual right rules as they exist yeah this is where josh's job becomes like paramount basically it's like it, like yeah. the memory of these rules wizards is is the most important uh thing in this stage of development or whatever no we, I, we often say i'll say one, one quick thing about josh um i often think that you know kyle is the uh essential and irreplaceable member of the creative mm-hmm. team because mm-hmm. no one can replace the work that, that he does um but actually, for this last month, it's Josh, um, because he is he is just holding in the entire universe yeah. in his head, yeah. and it's great because like I need to do graphic design and to right. like argue with our production director, um, and Josh is there to like hold up the design, yeah. you know, put his finger in the dike or whatever. Right, right. Well, let's talk. I wanted to to get into more the weeds of arcs because it feels like we haven't really. I, I think something that the show hasn't conveyed to people is uh, kind of how, like, an actual campaign can kind of feel, like, the major turns a campaign can take. You know, I think we've gotten across the idea that, yeah, there's three acts, and you can succeed or fail with your fate, uh, and then in the next act, you will either get a new fate or sort of upgrade your fate, but something that i feel like uh has has been somewhat missing from that is basically two things and there's the two things i want to focus on one of them is flagships which is like a whole a whole thing (laughs) that like dramatically changes how a player would look at the board and that's just like the nature you know the path uh certain fates can go down or whatever uh but and i want to get to that later but i want to start with something that i think our community will be the most interested in and is certainly the thing that like really intrigued me and is also why the whiplash hit me so hard is uh the the notion of summits and events and yeah the the sort of like first regency and how it interacts with everything there's this whole social aspect to the campaign game that doesn't exist as much in the base game that uh i felt like we could take some time today to sort of like get across to everybody yeah so the base game uh it has a lot of negotiation, but it's the kind of negotiation that you have when you play a game of risk. Yeah. Like it's not supported by the game. I can't trade you a resource. Right. Uh, but there are going to be some groups that are really going to like politic, yeah. and that's and that and that's fine. And I, and I adore it's like it. root um, in that way, right? Root. Yeah, root, it's like not root, very many like, things you trade, but it's like, well, our board it, position is what we are trading. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yep. Um, and, and and you know when we were, had originally started the campaign, I would describe it as as build a root and it like had this like a very freewheeling adaptable nature. But we realized as we were working on the factions is that actually Josh and I, like we both love political games mm-hmm. and he's, he's, he's my, 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 he, you know, he's essentially the lead developer. We're, 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 we're co-leads on it, mm-hmm. which is, which is my way of saying I don't abandon projects yeah. in development. <laughs> um, and, and that's a funny distinction. It's worth pausing on though, because I think, um, Usually, when you design a game, you get to the point where it's stable, and then you turn over to a developer to finish it. Mm-hmm. I love the work of development, but Josh picks up a huge heft of the load, and he yeah. and I both are really interested in political games. Yeah. And what we realized was that, oh, actually, if we want these plot lines to be expressive, we need to allow the players to 
politic. Yeah. And so what, what happened is what we thought was like build a route is actually like build a TI mm -hmm. or build a dune. Um, and we immediately ran into these like funny, th these funny kind of nesting problems. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and actually I think if we're thinking about the constellation, uh, it's important to think about events, edicts and summits as actually being like one constellation of ideas. Right. Exactly. Because there's this key problem in, in TI style games and political games, which is, uh, table talk screws up the flow of the game. <laughs> it just, it completely wrecks it. Yeah. And, absolutely. and, 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 and in, in, in ways that, that can be fun too, yeah. but, um, for a game that has a lot of small actions where mm -hmm. it's important to know like whose turn it is, if you are constantly like swapping resources, yeah. then you're going to lose the flow of play. I mean, this is why Catan has the rule that you have to trade with the active player. Right. We, we, like the, what, it needs to matter whose impulse it is. So uh, when we first started working on ARCs, we thought, oh, we need to have a, a negotiation phase. Mm -hmm. Like that will, that will fix this problem. But then we ran into this weird follow-on problem, which is where do you put the negotiation phase? So uh -huh. ARCs has, you play cards, and then also at the end of a hand, when you've played all your cards, uh, the hands are called chapters, you get a new hand for the next chapter, uh, and then you play all your cards. So you think, okay, well, if we want to have negotiations or events or anything like that, I guess they have to be at the chapter breaks, mm -hmm. because that's the only time they're not in the flow of play. And that's a horrible timing <laughs> interval for negotiations because you, you can know when an event is going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, right. And so this was a problem that we tangled with a lot over this last year, thinking about where the heck do we put these events and where do we put the negotiations? So originally, um, we had this sort of dumb idea that there were three cards. So they're basically, we, we thought a little bit about um, the constellation of politics and what, you know, you want um, surprising events that are going to disrupt the current situation. Mm -hmm. um, you want um, a room for players to negotiate. So we're going to call those summits. Yeah. And then you also want um, rule, um, some kind of structured rule intervention. Like I'm passing a law or I'm implementing a policy, or I'm building something. Mm -hmm. I can't be allowed to do that every turn, but I sh there should be some time timing interval when this like big stage political thing happens. We call that an edict, yeah. like a, a declaration. Right. And so we have these three different things. And we're like, well, you know, we want them to roughly happen like once or twice per hand. Mm -hmm. um, so let's do the obvious thing. And we're gonna give each of them an, a card. So we've got an edict card, an event card, and a summit card. We shuffle them into the deck, and if you have one, you just have to play it mm -hmm. at some point. Right. And this created a really stupid problem because players would just hold on to them until the end of the hand. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the hand, it was like, I'll play my summit. I'll play my edict. And right. it was like, oh, great. We, we have replicated. The situation. Yeah. It's the exact same situation. <laughs> um, and we, it also had this problem where like maybe you get dealt a summit card and you don't want to declare a summit. Mm -hmm. So you're like, uh, does anybody want, like, it, it was always the worst moment in these playtests. People would say like, uh, here's our summit card. I guess we're negotiating. And everyone's like, I don't really want to negotiate mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. And then we say, okay, negotiation round over. <laughs> and that always felt, it always felt bad. Yeah. So eventually this grew into a system where we made the event cards good. Uh, the idea of an event card is that you get all the actions of the leading card. It has no value. It can't take the initiative by mm -hmm. itself. Mm -hmm. But you get to pretend like you had all the action advantage of the lead card, which is very powerful. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
because they have to be played face up though they're kind of inflexible cards so if someone plays like a three battle or a, a two battle you might want to wait until there's a, a three aggression played but that might never happen as a lead card mm -hmm. so you have to choose like this might be your time to get on the the, the train it also encouraged people to play them a little bit earlier right. uh, but we still ran into this problem where the person with the event card would know if there was going to be an event. So, and you know, one of the events is that the, the, the blight is going to attack a bunch of pieces. And so if I've got the, the, the event card that's going to trigger the blight, I will move all of my ships away from the blight mm -hmm. and then play it. And I'm like, well, this sucks too. Like this isn't how that's <laughs> supposed to feel at all. Uh, eventually. And, and, and this was, this was kind of implemented like in September of this year, September, October. Mm -hmm. Um, we, we had, we, there were two realizations. So the first realization was making the event card universal. So instead of there being three different types of event cards, there's just one. Mm -hmm. And the way the event card works is um, first, the, the acting player decides, do they want to have a summit? And if they want to have a summit, they have one. And yeah. if they don't want to have a summit, they don't have one. Right. Uh, and then the second step is we have a die that's essentially a coin toss die. And half of the results are edicts and half of the results are blight events. Or not blight events, but like it's called a crisis. Mm -hmm. And the game comes preloaded with an event of each type. The basic crisis is that all the blight on the board is going to attack. Yeah, That's like the, the kind of, kind of uh, background noise. And then the basic edict is that whoever happens to be first regent, which is a, a position you can have, um, is going to extract money from the other players. Mm -hmm. It's going to gain resources. Oh my gosh, all these things are connected to each other, Matt. So it's, it's impossible for me to, <laughs> to talk about one thing without another. Of course. I'll talk more about why the Regency stuff matters a little bit later. Yeah. Um, but before I leave the event card, I just want to say that this, this almost fixed everything, but it had a really dumb problem, which is that if we're playing a four-player game and one player takes actions and another player takes actions, and then the third player says, I'm playing an event card, I get all these actions... Also, I need to choose if there's a summit. Also, I need to roll a die, which might trigger an edict phase. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, that person's turn, it was as disruptive to the flow, break to the flow of the game as it could possibly be. Yeah. So we, we made a, a very small shift. And, and actually, I've been very gratified with how well it's worked, which is that when you play an event card, um, it isn't like you get the actions, but the actual like quote unquote event is not resolved until the end of the hand yeah. and it's resolved by whoever has the initiative mm -hmm. so if i play an event card to take your actions good good for me or whatever and then at the end of the hand as we're cleaning up the hand you know matt if you have the initiative you'd say oh look an event card got played right. i'm going to resolve the event i choose to call summit we're going to argue and then we're going to resolve an edict people are going to get mad about that yeah now that card play is over and we go into the next round mm -hmm. so it really keeps it really keeps the negotiations out of the, um, out of the turning of the standard flow of the game, which is yeah. really, really, really important because as you know, uh, they can derail everything. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, and that, that was, so what we ended up playing was I think once that stuff had settled in essentially was this, this idea that, yeah, you're going to finish out the turn, uh, and, and get to do this stuff. So we, we got luckily, uh, a little bit used to that. 
And then y'all went in and really uh, gussied up the the actual edict process, uh, which has been cool to watch because at one point, I mean, the the game we even put up on our YouTube, there was some sort of like, I mean, we were we were very stupid players that don't know, you know, the end result of any strategic decision yet. Uh, so we were we were taking first regency uh, very seriously for some reason, um, but y'all have the most recent development I've. Uh, known about is getting outlaws actually more involved in this edict stuff that it feels like that was kind of the bigger shift of late where at one point it was like if you are a part of the imperium the region the the edicts will matter to you but talk me through getting to the point where now edicts are this like still intergalactic event that everybody is affected by so earlier i i said that the the blight crises are the, the basic event to give the crisis result meaning the edicts are the basic event that gives the Im, Im, imperial political system yeah meaning right and and, and 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 vice versa the imperial political system means something because of how it plugs into the edicts so uh there's always been a funny problem with the empire which is you know, we wanted thematically to have players start on the same team. And this is kind of an opposite impulse from Oath, where mm-hmm. players start against each other. It, it, with Arcs, we were like, oh, we want everyone to be at the same team. And there, there were cuts of Oath where everyone started as a citizen that sort of worked and didn't work in, uh, in the end. But the result was this kind of like weird adaptable hybrid solution that we have with Oath. Mm-hmm. But with ARCs, it was very clear that like, no, for, from a story perspective, from a narrative perspective, we want players beginning on the same team. So we ran into some basic problems, which is like, okay, well, what does it mean to be on the same team? Mm-hmm. And this took a lot of worrying. So originally there was a rule that was like, you can't attack each other. And then we're like, well, it's better if maybe there's like a shared fleet mm-hmm. and then we're like, Oh, it's even better if it, the shared fleet. And I think this was actually originally a playtester suggestion. They were like, what if the truce is only in effect where the fleet is? Right. So that like, if the fleet backs away, if daddy's not there, exactly. you can, you can, you can <laughs> scrap you a little it. I was about to say, we always call purple daddy. Yeah. If, daddy. Dad, if daddy dad, doesn't know, watching. the kids can have a little fight. Yeah. They can wrestle in, yeah. in the basement. <laughs> Yeah, and it and actually it like gave the board this like lovely, lovely, lovely texture. Yeah. Um, but then we had this problem, which was like, all right, what we found happening is that we had to slowly ratchet up the benefits of being an imperial regent, mm-hmm. and so this included things like the blights. Um, damage from the blight is more effectively soaked by the imperial ships than by player ships. Yeah. Cool. The Imperial ships are like pretty strong. You can fight with them. You can move around. That's all good, good, good stuff. With the like adjustments to how the gate movement works, like hanging out of the Empire is going to give you access to like moving farther. That's mm-hmm. also good. But then if we were if we were making the Empire better, we also had to make players have like a cost to it. Mm-hmm. It should feel like like a mortgage. You're like, oh gosh, I like love having this house, but I do have to like pay this yeah, big mortgage every right. every, every week. <laughs> Uh, but we had a hard time figuring out what would be an appropriate way of expressing that payment. Mm-hmm. And it's at one point we had we had this idea that there's one regent who's the most important regent, and we'll call them the first regent. And maybe they generate victory points or something. Mm-hmm. And so the more regents that are in, they're getting more victory points. And we're like, ah, that's a little flat. What if they just got resources? Oh, what if they like stole resources from the other players? Mm-hmm. And then as we were adapting the event framework, and Josh did a lot of really good work here, um, 
it, it was pretty clear that we could use this timing window, this edict timing window. Um, and there's a whole long story about how the edicts were developed that we're not going to go into because it would take like hours. Um, but we realized that we could say, okay, on this edict timing window, the first region could say, hey, this is the season where the empire is demanding you know, fuel materials, and I'm going to steal that from other players. Mm-hmm. And in order to make this work right, we had, we had to do a few things. So one of them is we created this idea of the Imperial Trust or the Treasury, which is like where those resources go. Mm-hmm. And these resources um, count for ambitions. They're like good for victory points. Um, I, they can't be freely spent, although honestly, that's changed like a few times. I would have to look at the rules to know. <laughs> it's so like, watch out, everybody, because that's, I, I'm almost positive that they. That this they podcast interview is not a rules document. Don't. <laughs> uh, please. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, just, it's just one of those rules that's flipped on and off a few times. Um, but if a new player wins the first region, they get to like take that little trust of resources yeah. into, into their area. Um, so. One problem that we had with this kind of demand system early on was that routinely players do not have what they need to pay, mm-hmm. right? They, the, the tax man comes and their pockets are empty. A little, yeah. a little moth flies out of it. Um, and we were able to fix this problem uh, by pilfering an idea from the first edition of John Company, which is the notion of the favor. Mm-hmm. And so right now, players can give each other uh, what used to be called influence cubes, they're now called agents, that act as favors, which could be used to be redeemed for a resource or a ship on the map or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, but there's a very narrow timing window when you can use them. You can only use them if you are the player who called the summit. So you can't just use them in summits. You have to be the player who called the summit. Right. Now, that means I might give you a favor, Matt, and know that, like, there's a reasonable chance you'll never get to redeem it. Right. Right. And in fact, you might get a chance to redeem it and decide that you would rather redeem it later because they're more valuable later into the game Mm -hmm. when points are worth more. And and that means that you're kind of gambling with it. and, and so we had a very simple system that said, hey, if you're a first regent and they don't have anything, you're accruing favors, just personal favors, mm-hmm. which is great. You're covering for them, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gave the empire its like basic cost and its function. And then the way the edict system works is uh, every system in ARCs has to be super modular because of how much the game can change. Mm-hmm. And the, the edicts are basically a little row. It's like a little booklet. Um, and when you resolve the edicts, you just go through all the edict steps in their numerical order. Mm-hmm. And the edict step for the first regent says, hey, here's the imperial policy, uh, which will allow you to draw resources from other players and then do something neat with empire stuff. And there are different things it can do. Uh, or you can change the imperial policy. So you're always choosing like, do I want to just get a, a material or do I want to change the policy so that I can get something something better now this uh this is you know I, i'm i'm quasi dodging your question but i'm getting to the question <laughs> about the outlaws here right yeah which is why on earth would you be an outlaw well there's a couple reasons first you don't want to be taxed you right. don't want to take 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 the money that's a perfectly good reason to become an outlaw um second uh has to do with how the first regent is claimed so there is now a court slot. It's sort of like a, a fifth market slot or a fourth market slot if you're playing the two-player game mm-hmm. um, that players can invest agents in. And they, when they secure it, they become first region. 
which means if they're a regent, they can take the re they, they take the, whatever is in the imperial trust. They get to move it to their player area. They get to act as first regent. That's lovely, mm. but that only happens if they're a regent. If they're not a regent, they they steal from the uh, imperial treasury. <laughs> they take as many resources as they can hold, and then the first regent loses victory points equal to the amount stolen. Wow! So as the first regent gets richer later in the game, they're getting a big target on their back for someone who might want to become a bit of a of a turncoat mm -hmm. um this like the the behavior of uh we call this the imperial council the thing that decides the for the um the the first region and or the theft um actually allowed us to do a really interesting thing in the design which is that with the event system um sometimes the event system uh, produces too many crises or not enough crises. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, especially in a two-player game, maybe there aren't any events drawn. Right. Like, and then that whole part of the design stops working. And the way we got around this is when the Imperial Council is secured, the player who secured it gets to resolve an event and they decide what, the, what side the die is. Mm. So an outlaw securing it can trigger a crisis mm -hmm. and mess up a lot of different elements of the game. Uh, or a, a, a first regent securing it could trigger an edict and then immediately benefit from attack. Yeah. So it becomes a pretty powerful uh, tool. And all of this, it, it, in the, the way that this is very emblematic of the development of ARCs, is that I would say that by and large, if I step back, this is about 30% more complex than we had want to, uh, complexity we had wanted to put in the system. Uh -huh. But it's an incredibly flexible tool yeah. that we've been able to like plug a bunch of different plot lines in and really broaden out the, um, I don't know, the expressive range of the political part of the game. Yeah. Yeah. So a little bit of uh, rules bloat from it, but what it, what it earns you is, I mean, I, I you know, I'll always compare it to TI, but you, you look at things like, the trade phase and the the agenda phase basically and both of those are things that have a bunch of awkward <laughs> snafus to them but what you get out the other side is like the main vehicles through which people express negotiations or whatever right like yeah. the, the main opportunities for actually things to happen it's just a matter of trying to keep players on the rails because like you said if you just had sort of like freewheeling uh negotiations all game long You'd have what happens in TI, which is nothing ever gets done. <laughs> we just we, right, right, we right. debate uh, every possible action and whether or not someone can get paid to not do something or whatever. <laughs> right. And, and I think, you know, one thing that we wanted was to find ways to limit diplomatic flexibility. Mm -hmm. Because I think if you give players too much diplomatic f flexibility, there's, they, have just, they just have too much like power to police. Yeah. And I, I wanted to be really careful when we were working on arcs to say like, no, actually, like you don't have that much power to police. And in fact, um, in the third act of the game, people don't really use summits, mm -hmm. which is, and I had, I had one, one tester asked me about this and said like, are you worried about the fact that no one is declaring summits at the very end of the, of the third act? And mm -hmm. I said, no, like finish the game. Right. Exactly. Like you don't like you're going to get into a summit and everyone's going to say like I don't have anything to give you. I'm in a war with you. And I'm exactly. like, yeah, that's that's right. correct. This is the climax um, of everything. <clears throat> and yeah, I mean, because you see the same thing in in uh, 
in TI. The the trade strategy card stops even getting picked in the last two rounds of the game. Right, there's like, like no reason What am to... I going to give you? If I give you things, I now see how that's going to give you the win. In Acts 1 and 2 of arcs, I don't know, sky's the limit. Let's see, what, let's see yeah, how things shake right. out. <laughs> and I think, and where you do get summits used, and this is like one of my favorite parts of summits, is that you will, if players have a lot of favors that they have gained throughout mm-hmm. the campaign, and they call the summit, their summit says like, hey, I've got eight of your favors. Uh-huh. And so guess what? <laughs> your fleet is mine. You're yeah. giving it back right now. And what that is, is the dramatic finale of mm-hmm. a negotiation that began earlier. Totally. Uh, and I think that like building a little bit more um, like binding agreements and forced negotiations yeah. into the summit has a lot of really cool narrative knock-ons that, um, that you don't get in, in a game like like TI or even like a, a game like diplomacy. I mean, a lot of the negotiation games that I know, yeah. um, they, uh, even ones I just really, really love. Um, a lot of the negotiations are powered by uncertainty and risk. Mm-hmm. And so as the game gets closer to its, you know, denouement or whatever, like its final moment, yeah. um, that's all that stuff shuts down because there's no uncertainty. Why, why would I do something for you? Right. Um, but there's there's a fair bit of uncertainty about in the last in the last hand of arcs. Yeah. At the same time, uh, you know, arcs does have a rule that says like occasionally a player is going to get knocked out of the water and someone's going to be very clearly winning, and it's mm-hmm. okay to just say they've won and stop. <laughs> and I, I I asked Josh to put that rule in because th- there was a funny thing that happens in in the two player campaign game where um, you can just get really crushed, and in, in a three player game, the two weaker players can usually work together and make up the, the difference and create really satisfying third acts. Mm-hmm. In the two-player game, it's like not possible. And so we had to just include a rule that was like, hey, if you look at the board state and you feel like your position is hopeless, it's okay. Yeah. Like you're not being graded on completion here. And, <laughs> and, and, and just like, just rack them up again. Um, because I, I, what we were finding was we, were, we, we kept finding ourselves wanting to introduce these like really stupid catch up mechanisms. Uh-huh. And I'm like, no, this is a bad impulse. Uh-huh. Like it's okay to allow players to like lose. Right. Um, right. And I think, you know, the, 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 the political apparatus provides players with, ways of working together uh but sometimes even those aren't, aren't enough and that that's For okay sure. too well and i i think that's uh <laughs> it's really funny that you incorporate something like that because the thing i see from ti people all the time is like can there be an official rule for how to like if i want to stop playing and i want to just take all my units off the board or what like if i want to eliminate myself or whatever and uh dane beltrami is famously long uh, said absolutely not. I'm not giving you a rule for how to just quit the game. You, you're a grown. You're an adult. <laughs> you can yes. make these decisions for yourself. But it's funny how gamers do kind <clears throat> of like. We need permission from the rule book to to just like play the game the way we would like to play it or whatever. That does make me think you're going to get people asking: Is there a way to pull a player from the count between acts? Right. We had four players in Act One. We finished Act One, and then Joey decided they didn't want to do act two so how do we knock it down to three players or whatever so i i fear for that for you all (laughs) i think that like it it might weirdly be okay it's something that we do occasionally in playtesting because Mm -hmm. i'll know that i have access to a playtester on a certain day and they have to leave Mm -hmm. and if we can't find anybody to take their position we will usually just free their buildings which means um creating neutral buildings and then kind of leaving it at that and just continuing playing like i i think it actually probably works i hadn't even thought about the fact that 
we should write a rule about it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. There's an old uh, game master game called Samurai Swords, which I think the end condition is that you, like you win when all players have agreed that you've won. Oh, um, that's what that um, is my dream game, Cole. You've just described what yeah, I it, want. Well, it's called Samurai Swords, <laughs> there we go. and it's mostly <laughs> and it's mostly really good. Um, <laughs> although it's also like long and strange and weird, uh -huh. but. I, I I love it because you'll in that game you'll sometimes you'll be in a desperate position. You're like, no, I refuse. Yeah. <laughs> and then like a, a third party will be like, I'm gonna knock this guy down to size just, just to so, just show. so he quits. <laughs> so and like that, that is also like that is also like a satisfying <laughs> a satisfying in into the game. And I, I think for all of that, um it is remarkable the number of times arcs does come down to the last hand. Mm-hmm. Um, it rarely comes down to the last card, although it, mm. it does occasionally. And, and, and this is actually kind of like a weird, I, I have no idea how this is, this particular element will do in the larger audience, Yeah. but root is very often decided by something that happened in the second act, almost yeah, always. Sure. And then the third act is like all the players slowly realizing the what, bed they've done. made. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Oath, Oath, Oath in contrast, really does come down to the last action. Yeah. Like it is designed to well, be because like- because for three turns, every action is the last action maybe. And then and we, uh, oh, we did it. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, you're spilling the secret. But but also, but but just like, it has to do also with the elasticity of what, what can be accomplished in a single action in Oath. Yeah. And with arcs, um, I didn't spend too much time thinking about the final, final moment. Yeah. It was really about the broader storytelling arc of the right. game. Um, and that means that sometimes the story ends in like the second chapter of the last game. Mm -hmm. And then the third chapter is like, yep, yeah, do, do, do. You, you in the way that, in the way that in a trick-taking game, sometimes the last few cards that come out of your hand are almost like played without thought. Yeah, they're the jump Because like, hey, left. we've like arrived at the end and yeah. now it's just going to kind of like spill out a little bit. Right. Um, and, that's, and that's fine. Um, but it could shut down if you have players who think like, oh God, I, I think if I think hard enough about my hand, there might be a way out. Yeah, and it's like no, no, no. That person's ahead by thirty points. <laughs> like, there's really, there's like not a way, <laughs> not a way to do it. And so it, I, we did have at one point a rule about like a sudden death condition, yeah. which we ended up scrapping, and just saying, yeah, there's no sudden death condition. But like, look at the board and be an adult, right? <laughs> and like, no, know, know when you're licked. Um, I want that in more rule books. Listen, just can we just be adults about this and accept yeah. what, what this game looks like? You don't always win. Uh, so I I wanted to make a quick time, and, and I know we're almost out of time, but and we don't have to go through necessarily even like the whole development cycle. But can I feel like we've teased the idea of flagships a number of times, and and what this mechanic really is can can you give me sort of the the brass tacks of just like what yeah. what are flagships uh, flagships a mechanism that i was so sure was going to be cut from the game uh because, <laughs> it because it's feels, one of those it feels we, like that <clears throat> thing it feels like a tangent a thought oh yeah one person had yes. and it, it, it's like the thing where yeah as as if maybe you demanded it the whole time and everyone else is like i don't know man they're just sitting over there but it's yeah it, yeah, it, it no, feels like it, a cool it, expansion thing which i mean right you exactly know, the campaign like, like game we, sort of is that well it, so. it, it, and there there was a there was a, a thought where like is the first expansion of the campaign game like the flagship uh -huh, expansion uh, -huh. uh and, and what we found was that narratively yeah they were so important yeah because you can get the tar kicked out of you in the game 
And then you need something. It doesn't feel right for your board position to just springboard back. Mm-hmm. But if, you, but narratively, if you're like, no, and then I packed all my people on a ship and we just left. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> ah, now we are in like the zone of the generation ship. Mm-hmm. We're thinking about home world. Like this is a very fertile Sci- sci-fi space it's bsg yeah um and so as a narrative idea they just kind of kept bubbling back up to the surface yeah um and then we ran into this gameplay challenge which is how do you make this position interesting yeah so the notion of the flagship was a flagship gives you a single pawn like a vagabond yeah and the 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 conceit of the flagship is a plot line uh, is good for a flagship if it needs to focus the player's attention at one spot. Yeah. So, for example, one of the flagship plots is all about like a deduction game where you're trying to locate a like lost gate or portal, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you're playing a deduction game and your like little pointer guessing where the system is is where your flagship is located. Right. So that's a good example of like the flagship as a focal point for the player's kind of uh, attention. To make that work. Um, we have to give the flagship a lot of extra movement. Yeah. And so we're like, okay, the flagship needs to be like twice, maybe even three times as fast as a regular ship uh-huh. because that you're, you're compensating for, our, for a lack of board, of board presence. Yeah. We also wanted flagships to be differently arrayed. You know, you can have board positions that are high starport, board positions which are high city. Yeah. Just, you know, there, there are lots of different concentrations and things. And we wanted flagships to do the same thing, where we wanted to have a big expressive range and like what it meant to be a flagship. And so we created the system of, of, of kind of like upgrades, yeah. where you have little things that you have on your flagship that give you access to certain special powers. And then Josh and I worked very closely on a, a cut where we started building that into the actual um building economy of the game so the idea was when you play the flagship all your buildings come off the board and then those buildings have meaning within your flagship and and so originally i was like oh yeah you like put your cities on these upgrades which builds hold spaces on your player board because you need cities to hold resources so that felt very neat to me and then josh had this great realization where he was like oh you could do the same thing with starports and dice where like your flagship rolls dice in combat equal to the number of starports you have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So whenever you're building like an upgrade on your flagship board, you're choosing like, do I want another dice in combat or do I want like another resource slot? Right. It's a very satisfying choice with a lot of like interesting knock-on effects. Cool. Um, and then just so much of the work of, of developing the flagship was figuring out how to get the dang thing to be balanced. <laughs> so for one thing, flagships have a hard time getting resources. They don't yeah. have cities. Right. Now they can... Um, they, they, they can raid, which is nice. And, and there are upgrades which help them get resources. But we realized that we wanted there to be texture in the upgrades, so we associated them with resources. So if you buy a weapon, if you want to build a weapons array, you need like access to weapons. Mm-hmm. But it was too much to ask the flagship to get the resource. Right. So instead we changed it like, what if you just had to take a build action while you were at a weapons planet? Mm-hmm. And this, as soon as Josh figured this out, it opened up all kinds of, of interesting possibilities because it meant that you were naturally no, nomadic. You might like take a move to a system just to improve your ship. Yeah. And I'm like, good. This is a very strong, like, again, storytelling, from a storytelling perspective, a very strong uh, loop that we can get the players into. And then the other thing that we needed was um, the flagships... Like arcs is more interesting when there are lots of buildings on the board. Mm-hmm. And if you're a player, uh, you have a lot, there are a lot of good reasons to build buildings. 
when you're a flagship and you lose all of your buildings, it was then making the board like less interesting mm-hmm. for you leaving. And I was reminded a little bit of like the root problem of like, what does a game of root look like with like the hypothetical three vagabonds or right. four vagabonds? And right. I'm like, it looks boring. Uh-huh. Um, and so uh, to get around this, we introduced the concept of the free city and the free starport, right. which is basically they're like, they're kind of grayish neutral buildings. When you switch to flagship mode, all of your buildings become neutral buildings. Mm-hmm. And so you replace it with those pieces. Um these ended up being such useful pieces in other parts of the design. Oh, yeah. Because, for example, when you set up the two-player game, after you have deployed your initial uh, buildings and ships, you fill the rest of the slots in the starting deployment zone with right. free cities. Why do you do that? Because those cities can be raided. Can, right. You can provoke outrage with them. You can tax them. Oh, cool. um, I didn't so realize gives, that came from flagship. Like I didn't. That, that's yeah. so cool because I've known of the neutral cities for a while, but that feels like such an obvious. Like yeah, of course there's there's neutral parties to this. Be neutral cities, yeah. yeah, why not? But it's yeah to to hear that that like was built out of flagships. That's a cool. It's funny that development can do that <laughs> to a game. Yeah, it's got these weird loops. And then when we were working on the founder, and we were like, oh, the founder plotline, which is all about becoming an outlaw and doing mm-hmm. your own thing. Their whole plot line in the later acts is about freeing cities right. and like trying to fill the board with free cities. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's it's like it's just neat. Like it and it, it it plugs into that stuff and it means that the flagship players are really interacting yeah. with the rest of the with the rest of the game. So the flagship plot lines they're only in the B plot lines, uh, which is kind of weird. Like uh, we had planned on having flagship plot lines at every level, A, B, and C, mm. but the way they end up sitting at the design is it only makes sense to put them in the Bs because you have to, um, a player should have the choice of becoming a flagship or not generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't, so you don't want to surprise a player within who had an A plot line that's going to turn into a flagship. Uh-huh. It just felt like a cruel trick. And you can put in big red letters, hey, you're going to become a flagship in Act 2, uh-huh. and it's still going to feel bad. <laughs> and then it, it doesn't really work to put them in, in the, the, the C plot lines because you kind of need a game to get good at your flagship. Mm-hmm. Like to feel like how to just get used to it and also to customize it. And so we could have, there's a hypothetically, certainly we can have a C plot line that's a flagship mm-hmm. that gives you a bunch of upgrades and makes you strong enough. But just from a narrative perspective, we're like, no, we like kind of want to be introducing these, these, these plot lines and B's. And I, and I think the way it's worked out is half of the B's are flagships. Wow. So I think there's four, there might even be five of the eight um, have, have flagships. And I yeah. think, that as a rule for any content we, we we end up designing in the future will probably hold hold true mm-hmm. because it, it, they're they're a fun a fun a fun place to explore. At the same time, um, they are hard to balance for the same reason the vagabond is hard right. to balance. Yeah, because like other players have to police them, but you don't. So, but you don't want them too strong. You like yeah. don't want them like we, we we there are versions of the flagship that would just create these big death balls. Uh-huh. And they'd just be like warping around, trashing everything. <laughs> and I was like, the flagship needs to leave liability. It needs right. to be like, stuff needs to be kind of like always falling out. And, and they should feel a little be- beleaguered. Yeah, yeah. So my, my ideal flagship is like, is a weaker than a regular player position, but also springier. So yeah. like, I, I can punch you across the room, but you can like kind of bounce back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're getting close to that balance. Although I think it, it's slightly underpowered right now. And it's nice, you know, at this stage of the development, basically what we are doing for the next three weeks is 
very fine final number tuning and yeah. then little boosts mostly the flagship mode yeah interesting yeah that's funny uh, so in two years from now what you'll say to me is our biggest regret is not <laughs> getting the flagships uh, we didn't know we didn't know players would be able to do that will we'll, right now you're saying they're underpowered but in two years the entire meta will be shifted around punch the flagship a la punch the vagabond that's that's what i'm hearing is players will find ways to to break these things. Yeah, well, there's certainly no doubting that. I we we had a really I'll tell you one more funny little development thing. We had a playtester. So we did something we had never done this summer which we we hired a few dedicated playtesters. Mm -hmm. To come in like Thursday, Friday every week all summer just play arcs. Yeah. And we had the, the, this one really sharp high schooler who um, had a thought about arcs, which was that um, in arcs if you can't you can't go below 0 points. Mm -hmm. And so he thought, well, what if I ignore all of my objectives forever and I just build board position? Mm -hmm. And then in act three, I'll have this incredible board position and I'll be able do, to can close it out in a seat to just do anything. Yeah. Right. And um, we realized and, and, and th this happened in particular because we changed how the act three plot lines work. Uh -huh. So like the act, the, the, the A plot lines in the final act, you get bonus scoring conditions, yeah. which is very nice. Right. The B plot lines are the same. Final act, you get bonus scoring positions, but also your scoring positions are generating scoring opportunities for other players. Mm -hmm. So you might say like, hey, control the banners to get extra victory points, but other players can control them too. Mm -hmm. So there's some liability there. And then the Cs have no bonus scoring points, right. but they have an alternate victory condition, which if they win they will ignore all the points in the game. And so this astute playtester was like, oh, I'm just going to screw the rest of the game. Uh -huh. I'm not going to engage with any of my narrative content. <laughs> I'm going to get to my C plot line. I'm going to get my alternate victory condition. And I'm going to have such a powerful board state that I can just always win. Right. And for this player, we introduced negative victory points, <laughs> which was when you fail your victory condition, you don't just go to zero. Uh -huh. You go backwards, right. and those points aren't suffered to the power erosion. They're not rounding up or, or getting halved in a, in a, towards, towards oh, positive integers. Wow. They're just, so if you have negative four and everybody's like, oh, I have to lose half my victory points, you still have negative you're four. Neg you're in the hole. And, and then all of the final victory conditions, if you get to the C plot lines, specify that you have to have your your countdown condition one but also have positive points That's hilarious which means that. at the very end you find yourself scrapping for ambitions because mm -hmm. you were at negative eight negative ten now <laughs> what what i love about these negative rules is a playtester asked me does anyone have negative points and i said not really like you will like it's not as if, if you play arcs bad you will not end up with negative points. Uh -huh. Although I am playing a very bad game of arcs right now and I do have negative two <laughs> points. Um, the, the negative points are actually for the players who are playing such good arcs yeah. that they are exploiting the, the system. Right. So I would expect in like really skilled campaign games, you will see players like dip far into the negatives right. and try to use that to like rocket, rocket out. Mm -hmm. And so the negative points like only exist for them. Uh, and those are the kinds of thoughts that, you know, watching Root for four years have like corrupted my brain <laughs> with those with those sorts of design ideas. Absolutely. That rules. Well, Cole, we're 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 obviously looking forward to it over here. Uh thank you for for taking the time today. Um I don't know what y'all's kind of time frames are for like bigger, you know, updates or final updates or whatever. Uh I don't know if you have any of those dates available to you or if, or an estimate of like when this thing looks like it might be quote unquote complete complete well yeah. I, I can tell you a little i can say that um 
probably by early November, we will have our digital playtesting kit like very close to final. Mm -hmm. And in mm -hmm. fact, it is close to final now, but we are putting in a lot of quality of life improvements, finally updating all the punch board. Mm -hmm. um, I just got a note two minutes ago uh, from our graphic designer saying that all of the base game proofs have been fully approved wow. and they are moving to the sample stage, which is great. Uh, the campaign game will probably be in that place in three weeks. Mm -hmm. If everything goes well, um, this is something we're hoping to be shipping to backers in April. Cool. Uh, so we want, but by May, we want people to be having copies. I've been telling people, if you see me at Gen Con next year, you, I want you to be seeing me standing underneath a big hang spaceship. <laughs> so we are, we, we are getting it done as soon, as soon as we possibly can. Awesome. Well, Cole, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for letting us visit uh, Minneapolis and hang out with everybody at the offices. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you again soon. Well, all right. Thanks, man. It was our pleasure as always. fun hey i want to thank our weird bears big al cappuccino squeamish emu brass bird Kabbalah, soul kaluan daryl jadim jedi carnal kindred spirit alice emlashevsky sunfax absol ricky m44 rys tang and fancy zeeling and i want to thank our teensy sprouts kraken portmandia Hercules, savant and vince you can rate this podcast on all the places where you rate it give me five stars they're so yummy i want to eat them in my tummy and you can find our website eventually i keep saying this and i say it every episode because it's in my notes to say it there will be an updated website soon uh our friend that's doing the website is now married and home which means we you know that that they might find some time to mess with that again here soon so in the in the coming weeks perhaps we'll have a website you can also send this imperium live stories to space cats peace turtles at gmail.com how's it going on your end of the court hunter yeah let's talk uh homebrewers guild uh this is uh this is a big week okay um our poll has ended mm -hmm. as far as um our last uh kind of big decision to make was um doing a prequel faction that is uh, I just want to say, because people are very excited about this project, this uh, Twilight Imperium <laughs> Zero Edition project. Yeah. And a lot of y'all, I've seen y'all post stuff with timelines on it that I got to tell you right now, as CEO of Space Cats Peace Turtles uh, <laughs> LLC, uh, we ain't making them deadlines, all right? <laughs> we, are, we are going to work at this a little bit at a time. We're going to chip away at this project. Yeah. And... You know, and that means some people might lose interest. But here's what I'm going to try and do. Here's here's going to be my goal is to chop up the process of creating this this mod into bite-sized nuggets yeah. that we get a little satisfaction out of. So I am not trying to zoom out and design the whole thing right. in one go. Right. And I and I appreciate there are a lot of people that are zooming out, and I appreciate what y'all are doing. In fact, Relic Stan, I want to shout out, wrote a lovely piece uh, about. Uh, alternative uh, alternative victory condition type stuff yeah. that will be very useful when right. we zoom out to that part. But right now, we're keeping it super focused. And we're going to make something that everyone can enjoy that is not just for people that want to buy all the way in with the mod. So here's what we're doing. I listed all of the, what we've agreed on are the available factions for the thematic timeline that we've selected. God, this project is going to get less and less easy to understand as we go. Because <laughs> as we go, an unapproachable podcast and found a way to make an even more unapproachable but segment. I'm, this is like my favorite part of the <laughs> show. Okay, this is like my favorite part right now. So here's where we at. Um, I listed all the available factions, um, and y'all chose the weirdest one, of course. Always, yeah. you always do. Sure. Um, 
so it was you know it could have been like titans early ver prequel version of titans could have been a prequel version of extra or argent one of those but instead i decided to put the lazax in there yeah. because i thought you know we have the l1z1x to go off of which is mpok mm. and then we have the lazax from the twilight imperium 3 scenario yep. to go off of i think that's enough so i feel good but y'all of course selected the lazax so I feel like it'd be easier to explain if you had chosen any of the other ones, but here's my explanation. And by the way, we need to get to work on this. So if you're in the Homebrewers Guild or you would like to join it, post uh, any and all components yeah. having to do with a faction that will be the Lazax as they would have appeared very early in the Twilight Imperium timeline. So the idea is this is very prequel. Yeah. This is like... Take a look at what the L1 abilities are. Take a look at what the Lazax abilities are from Twilight Imperium 3 uh, Fall of the Empire scenario. Yeah. Um, and then cook up a Prophecy of Kings compatible flashback version of this faction. Mm -hmm. So keep, kind of peel back the ideas. Make them less, you know, make them a little raw. Um, I'm going to be looking over everything. Um, my hope is that we will have a week or two of throwing components around. We'll start throwing them into uh, TTPG, and then we'll do a, a game, a Let's Play, uh, where I will play as this faction um, with, with Homebrewers Guild people, of course, uh, allowed to join if you're available for the stream, whenever mm -hmm. that is decided. Mm -hmm. um, and then we, uh, we just play a game, and then I will give you uh, an episode that's hopefully a kind of update of, of the things that I thought that worked about it, that did not work about it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so this is a very, again, this this faction that we're making needs to be POK compliant, which means it needs a mech. It needs a leader suite. Uh, it needs, you know, a, an unlock for the commander, et cetera. So we want to have, a, it needs two faction techs um, that, you know, require the normal kind of, you know, it's like one blue or yeah. two green or whatever, whatever we decide um, that it needs. Um, so let's, if you're in the Homebrewers Guild, please uh, give me whatever you got. Those of you that are zooming out, by the way, I want to encourage you to keep doing that. I feel sure. like you're laying down track that when we get to that part as a, a community will be very useful, Right. by the way. Yeah. So if you are the person that are like, I, I, I want to zoom out, I want to think about the, the future of this, go ahead, by all means. Um, but this is our kind of experiment to just see like how thematically fun is this to kind of peel a faction uh, mm -hmm. back to the olden times, to the olden days. And um, a couple of things I'm going to try and do for you today uh, is make sure that I have the faction sheets uh, for the Lazax from TI3 uh, posted up real big cool. uh, in the Homebrewers Guild. So check the pins there. Um, and yeah, if you like the idea of uh, of creating a piecemeal faction with, you know, I mean, I'm I'm gonna make the calls on like what makes sense. We're gonna kind of use all of your raw material, and I might make some edits to your stuff. Yeah. Everyone will get credit for things that ends up getting used uh, as part of this faction. Um, and yeah, we're gonna need everything. So right. please throw me everything you got. Yeah. Right now. Bunch of, Dang bunch it. of it's just a big wall, and Hunter doesn't have enough spaghetti in his pot. So yeah. you, everyone else has to bring their pots of spaghetti over to yes. just just really coat this wall. Cover the wall with spaghetti, okay? <laughs> it's all available. And remember, too, this is so. This is the Lazax as a faction that is competing with the other factions for control of the universe. Right. This is not the Lazax as uh, lords of right. the 
of whatever. In theory, they will rise to that call, but that's not in this moment. It, first, we have to kill the Mahawked is, is the yes. time of this, uh, this mode. Kill Mahawk, exactly. and then someone will reign supreme uh, after that. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Very cool. Man, what a crazy couple weeks uh, we've had. Just, just so much yep. going on, and uh, I'm glad... October is cooling off a little bit, but honestly, it's still <laughs> incredibly busy uh, mm -hmm. uh, with with tournament games and stuff like this homebrewers guild thing. Also, we're both trying to get in uh, some sisterhood games uh, in, in within the, the coming weeks. Uh, so those will all get worked out as well. Keep your eye on the sisterhood channel. Uh, I'm going to be posting about mine uh, relatively soon. I just have to work out the exact day of when I'm doing mine. Yeah, I am going to see how things go with my qualifier game. Yeah. And then I'll, I'm trying to get a sisterhood game in, but if I, you know, I also have to try and make it to the prelims, everybody. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I don't have a way or, I mean, I have I keep to try proposing to you could have a sisterhood qualifier game. They're, they are all in the tournament. The sisterhood is in the tournament. It counts. I think, I think that's a little bit unfair <laughs> because I, I, I don't want, I don't want to encourage other people cooking the matches and limiting who they're. You know, I, I believe I should just post uh -huh. on the thing and DM people and tell them that I've done that. Yeah. I think that's how I do it. Sure. So cool. that's that's how I'm going to do it for now because I feel like I don't want to, you know, go outside the bounds too much. Also, like, I think it's fun when I play with the Insterhood for it to be, Chill. you know, just research for the game yeah. or or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, I wanted to say for the Galactic Council, we owe you uh, a poll that I'm going to kick down to next week. Mm -hmm. Um. So next week, and, and I will, I, I got to say, next week uh, is going to be kind of a crazy episode, an experimental, <laughs> very fun, silly time episode uh, that I've been looking forward to for a very long time. Uh, it's going to be a crossover episode uh -huh. of sorts. Uh -huh. um, so get get ready for that. Um, but I just want to let you know that if you are a Galactic Counselor, uh, you should still listen to the rundown of that episode because that's where we will yeah. uh, announce the poll I love uh, for the, the next idea Galactic Council episode. Of teasing this episode and not telling people what it's going to be and then asking people to still listen to it and they'll just see the episode title next week and it will be like, uh, huh. Yeah. Wonder what that's yeah. going to look like. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I'm hey, not man. prepared. I know that much, but you've also told me you've encouraged me to not prepare too much. So uh, we're just yeah. going to go into it. <laughs> Yeah, next week is going to be very fun if you are uh, around our age. Some of the younger <laughs> listeners next week might feel a little left out, or or you might maybe your interest will be piqued uh, yeah. into something new. Uh, and also, um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of brand synergy. Uh -huh. That's the only clue I'm going to give you. Uh -huh. Is next week a lot of brand synergy <laughs> that we do not normally have in this house. So that's your hint. Uh -huh. um, you know, in, enjoy it, uh, and yeah, it'll 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 be fun. Um, so yeah, d definitely uh, definitely check out next week's episode. Um, and Yinsterhood, I will get back to you. Galactic Council, I will have a poll for you yep. next week. Yep. Yada yada blah blah yada yada, yada, yada blah, blah blah blah. You get yeah. it. Whatever. We'll see you then. Oh, is that it? That's you it. Just, that, oh, you're you know what's like, really great is that's how almost every episode of Just Dad's reading book ends. We're just like, you know what? We've decided to end it. <laughs> we just wow. It, we just let it be over. Uh, Turns out when I'm not around, there's not a lot of finesse on getting out of there, <laughs> right? Like if I'm not here to make it fun, if I'm not here to do a fun goodbye, uh -huh, uh -huh. you're just kind of like, uh, yeah. And you know what? Get out of here. 
just and just hang up the phone on them. I just them. kick That's them out nice. the door. That's right. Get out of my house. I'm done. I'm sure they love that. I'm sure they do. Um, well, you know, I, I for one, I love being here and I love I love hanging out with y'all every week. You know, when you're in the shower, when you're driving your car, when you're trying to fall asleep. I love being in your shower with you. It's just the best. It's you and me in the shower together. You lucky I mean, so I'm sure some so. people do. Uh-huh. I'm sure that's that it's a normal podcast for time sure. for me. I listen to a lot of podcasts when I'm in the shower. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I've got do my, you get some it? of my best friends are in the shower with me. It's so, it's so funny the idea actually of somebody being in the shower thinking about Twilight Imperium components. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like cleaning their body. They're and like being drawing like... on the glass of their <laughs> shower. Like, oh, and then if I did a PDS here, it could extend. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum.